Good morning and welcome to Catholics at Home, episode 42. I'm Jonathan from the parish of Holy Family Kajam. To those who have just tuned in, please share today's video link, repost or do a watch party with your friends and family. Catholics at Home is also available on YouTube, Spotify, of course, Facebook. Tell us what topics you'd like to see on Catholics at Home in the future and feel free to post your questions on today's topic. With me, joining me today, is none other than our beloved Father Clarence. Good morning, Father Clarence. Hi, JP. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I see your Christmas tree up already. La. So nice. La. So pretty, your Christmas tree. Is that a, is that a, is that a new tree? Yes, it is a new tree. Uh, this year, I, I went out slightly later to get a, at a Christmas tree. And unfortunately, the one that they have left is only eight feet. So it took slightly longer than expected to put it up. But I'm really happy to have the Christmas tree um, in spite of whatever that's happened this year. This has really brought joy to the family. So it's, as the, as the song goes, isn't it? I mean, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You look around and see all the decorations yes. are up. It's yes. nice. It is, it is indeed. And this weekend marks the fourth and final candle on our Advent wreath, Father. Uh, that means we're very, very close to the birth of Christ. Um, and we can see the light comes very close to overcoming all darkness. So the only candle left is the center candle which is the christ candle and that will be lit on christmas morning so i think this That's week good. we've got a very special topic father uh the, yes. this week the advent theme is love and we have got a very very special guest um love is a gift and a gift from god and jesus taught us to love everyone no matter what and of course to quote our archbishop to love the four else the lost the last the least and the little and so fittingly this morning father we have a very special guest who is no stranger to putting love into action and action into service. That's right. Uh, I mean, everybody has been reading about this uh, in the last, I think, more than a month ago. Uh, yep. and so we are so, we are so glad that we are able to get him uh, on our show. I'm sure he's in great demand by many other media organizations or any other you know channels. But we are privileged and we are grateful to be able to have a, have a conversation. As we're looking at the theme of love, as you said, you know, uh, yeah. we have been looking at the Advent themes of 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 hope, uh, of of joy, of peace, and now, as you say, Christmas is drawing near, and it's the feast of love. It's Christmas, yeah. and we want to talk a bit about love. I give you the the honor and the joy, uh, JP, to introduce <laughs> our guest this morning on Catholics at Home. Thank you. So, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, please join me in welcoming Samuel Isaiah. Oh, hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> well, I assumed that there was going to be a video first, so... <laughs> so these are, these, are the, these are the little surprises that we throw in, uh, Sam, as we as we go along. Yeah, so we want to catch your reaction when we see you suddenly on, on screen and then people get to see you another side of, you know, not the camera side, the natural side of Sam. Yeah. Good morning, Sam. And welcome Good morning, to Catholic Good morning, Good morning Sam. Thank you for having me here. Yep, it's a pleasure to be here. All right, so I think we can actually go into the video now, now that we've actually caught you in your natural state. So let's let's go into the video. All right, let's get into the I said to myself that, you know, if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. And I've been placed there for a reason. And I'm going to do the best I can for the kids. 
I did not had any dreams of becoming a teacher to be very frank with you. So I came into school with that perspective, you know, to actually do things and get my masters done and do my PhD. But when I saw the negativity and the whole toxic environment in school, I wanted to leave as soon as possible. One of the first things that was said to me when I first got to the school was, "Sam, kamu tak payah buat apa-apa sangat, mereka budak asli je pun." But because of the love of for the children, I told to my I said to myself that You know, if I don't do it, nobody is going to do it, and I've been placed there for a reason, and I'm going to do the best I can for the kids. So that is actually my motivation, my passion, and my motivation originates from the love that the kids have shown me and the love that I give back to them. For orang asli kids, being in the environment and being in the nature is the best thing that can ever happen. So, Sekolah Pokok is a program where I started doing classes in the forest, in the settlement. And I chose two specific areas in the settlement where the, uh, the number of kids that don't come to school are very high. So, we started off uh, with 10 kids coming last year and the numbers quickly grew. So, that is like 60 kids at two separate locations. So, if you combine it, it's like 120 kids every week. Uh, what do you love about your school? I love my English teacher. Why oh, you love the English class? Uh, I can sing clearly, drum and uh-huh. and sing song. Okay, can sing song. For me, I believe that I'm just an ambassador for my children. All in all. What needs to be highlighted is how amazing my children are. When they are empowered and when they believe in themselves, they can they can achieve great great things. So, I believe what I'm doing is to actually elevate their process. And I would love to see that instead of just showing what they like, like show the world what they are capable of. Yeah, you know, with with that video, I think there's nothing to talk about uh, with Sam already now. I guess everything we said. <laughs> But Sam, what, what that video? What that what that video doesn't say? Tell us a little bit about about yourself. I mean, I mean, your background, a little bit about where you grew up, and you know, a little bit about that. Our viewers will be interested to know a little bit about you. Right. The Sam that the media doesn't know. <laughs> so uh, I was born and raised in Kuantan, Pahang. Uh, I lived there all my life. I, uh, prior to this, my both my parents. Uh, actually from Kelantan, uh, Kota Baru, Kelantan. So uh, my dad, uh, my dad moved over to Kla- uh, Kelantan in '86. Uh, so I was born in '87. 
So my father was actually a postman. Uh, he worked with the postal service for many many years, and uh, he has always he always had this uh, in him where he loved to serve people. Uh, when I was really young, I remember we had a lot of people in our house. He was praying for them. He was sharing the gospel with them. He was going out of his way to help people, uh, underprivileged people. So this was my my upbringing back at home. Um, as as you all may know that. Um, uh, a postman doesn't earn much money, but he gave what he could. You know, he gave from for, uh, from his heart. So that was my upbringing. I was uh, I, when I was in school. I think uh, I mean among among my other siblings, I was probably one of the high achievers. So my parents at that time uh, they wanted me to to you know get a great job. You know, be a professional, uh, be an engineer, doctor, something like that. But when I was sixteen or seventeen. Uh, I did really well in school, but my I fell out of love with uh, science and technology, and most of my interests went to languages, arts, music, and literature. This has also got to do with my upbringing, you know, because I remember my dad doing lots of Bible study sessions. We had we have like Bible study sessions at home, so I think my upbringing was a lot based a lot a lot in the faith and also about serving people. So that was basically how I grew up. Wow. And, and I mean, that, that is a truly remarkable story and with your upbringing. So at the age of 16, 17, did you feel that at that time that you had a calling for teaching? I mean, having, having done well in school and all that and seeing how your father has brought you up in, in the faith and how, how did that steer you towards teaching? Unfortunately, my story uh, of how I got into teaching is not like a fairy tale, you know, like someone who had dreams of becoming a teacher. No, it wasn't. Um, I liked languages, I liked literature, so at that time, I think the only reason why I applied for this teaching course by the Ministry of Education was because, uh, because of languages. I just wanted to do something related to languages. If not, my parents were just going to send me to Form 6 and I didn't want to do it at that time. So uh, when I applied for it, it also I think it, it was also by divine intervention because uh, I remember going for the interview and back then I was, I had like spiky hair, you know, I had like a funky look to myself and uh, that is not necessarily the common look for a teacher. So when I went to the interview, despite how I looked, they loved what I was saying. I think they, they resonated with what I was saying throughout the interview and I got it. I was very surprised that I actually got um, to teach, uh, I mean, got enrolled into this course. And uh, my teacher's college back then was in a... Uh, Penang Island, so I was like, yes, you know, I get to leave the house uh, without the <laughs> without <laughs> without the control of my parents. I get to have my freedom, so I left mainly because of that. And when I was in teachers college, uh, I think they prepared me really well towards the uh, pedagogical, the methodological aspects, the theories of teaching and learning. But the heart and soul of learning, I did not find it. So that is why I always planned, I always saw teaching as a professional career only. I saw it as, a, you know, towards the end of my college and university years, I saw it as a progression whereby, you know, I think in the video I also mentioned that I was going to get my degree done. And then how, how do I develop my career? It was to get my master's as soon as possible and then uh, do my uh, PhD and go into academia, go into university. So I saw the whole profession from that perspective alone. I also had a very rigid view of what education is, of what learning is, mainly because uh, 
in our in our own bubbles, like in in my bubble where in Kuantan with my family, I always saw that we don't need to have a purpose to go to school. We went to school just because our parents told us to go to yeah. school. Because yeah. education yeah. is just yeah. yeah, it's 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 like the logical thing to do to go to school to finish UPSR. So that was my only view of education. And I will only say this that when I got to the school. Things changed as I fell in love with the kids, and I, I fell in love with the kids. I fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with the people, and I saw that I was there for a bigger purpose—a purpose that I never, never imagined before. And um, I will say this again and again: that the heroes of all this, of whatever I have achieved with the kids, it's not me. It's actually the children. How they have changed my life is equally important of how I did it with them. So, yeah, that's my story. Wow, the school that, that you talk about in, in the video uh, is was that was that your, your first your first posting uh, after yes. training, and and you were saying you were saying that when you went there, people told you you know you don't have to do much you know you don't have to do much. What what was the, what was the what was the turning point for you? I mean, when you arrived there, how did you feel and you know what what changed your perspectives about what you needed to do? Right. So I did my uh, teaching practical in Penang Island, and um, it was a very different uh, setting compared to where I was sent to. So I saw when I was in this school uh, in Penang, the teachers were great. The environment was very supportive. We had all the infrastructure in the world. Accessibility and connectivity was not a problem. This was in 2011. And uh, I saw like, OK, you know, this was my vision. This is what I was going to do. Uh, that was my perspective. And I applied to actually teach in Penang Island. but uh, fortunately enough, I was sent back to Pahang into the interiors of, of the state that, that I'm in. And uh, when I was there, I think with the perspective of school is going to be something that is going to propel my career, I found that the school was the total opposite of what I expected it to be. You know, um, infrastructure-wise, the environment-wise, and that's why I said about the, the perception. Because if I like to recap back all the challenges that I faced in the school with the kids, the biggest, the biggest challenge was not the infrastructure, it was not the accessibility, it was not that. The biggest challenge was, was negative perspective, the negative stigma that surrounded the capability of the kids. And because of that, whatever interventions that was done for the kids, for Orangasli schools, was always lackluster. You know, people just didn't want to try enough. And this was implied to me directly. People were telling me that, Sam, you don't have to do so much because they are not going to get it anyways. So initially, I think I've got to ask for forgiveness for this. Uh, I believe this perception because I was a novice teacher. I didn't know, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know, didn't know what was going on. But when I, was, when I went to the school, I, I just accepted. But as I connected with the children and as I connected with the community, I came to realize that, hey, this is not the way to do this. My parents brought me up way better, you know, uh, whatever religious, um, what, whatever uh, my dad, my dad being a pastor himself was trying to teach me, this, this is not the way to do things. I uh, know this is not how I portray Christ. So I was like, no, this was against everything I believed in. So I, I started seeing that I was there for a purpose. And as I started connecting with the children, that was a turning point. The love that the kids, the love and, and acceptance that the kids showed me, that was a turning point in everything. The easiest thing to do, Father, was, was to just blend in. 
uh, in schools, in orang asli schools, in most rural schools, the expectations are really low, actually. Uh, so it, it would, would have been like the easiest place to not do your job and get a paycheck at the end of every month and just go home. That would have been, I would have had the best excuse to not want to do my job. It was far away, there was not enough infrastructure, there was not enough accessibility was an issue. Uh, the, the, the kids' attendance rates, the attendance rates were horrible. The dropout rates were extremely high. Uh, the community in general did not see the relevance of education in their lives. I had all the excuses in the world to not want to do my best. But I refused to see that because I saw that my parents taught me better and the, and the children, they, did, they deserved it. So that, that's what made me do what what's, what's What's the story? What's the story about the, the ukulele? I mean, you always talked about it <laughs> with yeah. the ukulele, you know? Uh, I mean, we, 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 tried, we tried to get you to play a ukulele, but what's, what's the story about the ukulele? I'm sure many are happy, happy to hear about it. Right. So I started the ukulele uh, in 2016. Uh, I, I'm like a church boy, so I played music, music, singing, and everything has been part of my life for a very long time. And I've, I always wanted to incorporate that element of music into teaching and learning. So uh, initially, I just thought I should just teach them songs. But I felt that if I don't teach them this skill that I have, I'll be very selfish. You know, I had this skill to play music and I want to pass it on to the children. So in 2016, I decided I'll, I'll come up with a program that uses teaching ukuleles and English songs that also propels English language learning for the children. So I get, got together with some friends of mine I, uh, and, and I told them about this project and a lot of them were very supportive. Initially, I only wanted to have like 10 uh, ukuleles, but at the end of the day, we managed to collect about enough money and enough ukuleles, uh, over 25 ukuleles. So 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, I managed to teach almost 200 children all together to play the uh, ukulele. So what's so special about using a musical instrument is I realized that when the children did not did not see language learning as a subject, but as an experience, they learn even, even the more. So I, I, I taught them to play the ukulele in English. All the instructions were in English, and we, we focused on English songs. The kids did not like this. I mean, um, probably Jonathan and I can relate, you know, those Westlife songs, those older songs, they hated those songs, you know. They loved upbeat new modern songs so we started doing things that the kids love we start i started including uh the children's decisions in what i was doing so initially it started off as something small and then we started teaching more and more and more children and the, the children i think for orang asli kids it's quite common that they are shy they are not expressive they don't like to try new things so these were the barriers that we, we were trying to overcome besides teaching english alone so they started becoming more confident kids. They started teaching other kids in the school. So it was just an exciting journey that started because I wanted to teach them something that I knew I had and I knew that they, they should have it too. They should have the opportunity to learn it too. Because for us, Father and Jonathan, you know, if we wanted to learn a musical instrument, right, we could just enroll ourselves to a music center, you know, that's just like a few kilometers away from our houses or go online and learn it. But my kids did not have that opportunity. And I saw that and I knew that I had to do something and I did it. That's really powerful. Uh, I think. Before JP comes in, you kind of... And I know Westlife. I know who Westlife is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, 
I'm not that old as, as I look. So, <laughs> sorry, father. JP and I will know Westlife. Of course, I know Westlife too. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think it's really good that you pointed out, you know, Sam, that um, using music as a tool to break down and it itself is another language, right? Which you can actually use as a, a connection with the kids. And I, and I think the fact that you involve them in the decision making, that kind of allowed them to participate in that decision process, which then gave them more weight, which then gave them more confidence. Uh, and, and did you see that as you were through the years in the school? I mean, throughout my career, throughout my time with the children, I think uh, besides the programs, the fundamentals of what I do is basically creating a relationship with them. I believe that's what teachers are meant to do. It's not just about delivering a syllabus or teaching a content or covering the curriculum. It's about building relationships as human beings, as friends, as family. Um, cool fact about my school is when I got to the school in 2012, we did not have a staff room. So there was no office for the teachers. So what happens is this, teachers usually sat at the back of the class. A few years after that, if I'm not mistaken, in 2016, uh, the headmaster at the time uh, decided that we are going to have like our own staff room. But I decided not to leave because I saw that me being in the classroom with the children, I mean, for long hours, almost every day with them, involving them in what I do, having that conversation, everyday conversation with them, building that relationship of trust was fundamental to what I was doing. I was getting feedback from them uh, in informing my own decisions as an educator, as a teacher. So I think building that relationship was essential. And um, I think this is also one of the hardest things to do, you know, I mean, to treat your children as equals, to treat them as partners, as friends. It's really, really hard to do as a teacher because a lot of times teachers, I believe teaching is one of the toughest jobs in the world because we are expected to be extremely skillful in what we are doing, in whatever we are planning for the children. And at the same time, we are expected to have lots of patience, lots of love, you know, lots of acceptance to the kids, building a relationship to, with them. And coming up with this balance is really hard to do. So I think those were the fundamentals of what I was doing. Wow. And I think before we, we get into more interesting questions, I'm just going to read a couple of comments from our viewers. Um, we've got Angeline, Michael, and uh, many other viewers have actually wished everyone in this show a very good morning, very happy morning. Um, we've got Jacinta saying that that's so inspiring, and I agree with you, Jacinta. And we've also got Angeline saying it's really amazing and awesome and that love conquers all and love will find a way. And I agree with you and I echo that sentiment, Angeline. We've also got Michelle. Lots of love, Sam. May God bless you for the good works you have done in our country, followed by a huge heart emoji. And we've got Valerie doing the same thing and Ivana saying, hi, Sam. Kate saying one word, inspiring, which I agree with you as well, Kate. Asunta, such an inspiring gentleman. Genoese, Louise, indeed, the Orang Asli children are a blessing, as are you too. Thank you for all you do. Um, and we've got Daniel, who's come in. It's not easy to look for passionate teachers these days. Yes, Samuel, I agree with you. Building relationship is the key. So coming back to relationship and building that relationship, Sam, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, right? You, you, when you first got posted to this school, you were in your mid-twenties when you probably thought that you wanted to be posted to somewhere else, maybe another uh, city or even back to Guantan, for example, but yet you were posted to a place which you need to travel 200 kilometers a day. How, on those days that 
you it seems tough and it seems challenging to to build that connection with the kids and all who or what has been a source that you turn to has has faith played a part in that i think faith is a crucial part of everything i do um though i may not though i may not like uh, uh literally share it with people i think faith what it has done throughout my life and throughout my career is it is the basis of whatever decisions i do whatever however i act with the children i think showing christ is in everything that we do so for me uh, traveling the distance to school using my own financial resources spending countless hours with the children and the community trying my best uh, to improve their learning and uh, you know bringing in whatever infrastructure to the school and all that i didn't see it as a sacrifice you know i saw it as a labor of love i even saw it as a blessing so with that perspective i think nothing nothing deterred me you know yes teachers don't earn much money we don't earn enough to actually cover a lot of things uh, you know i drive a beat down car and all that but i didn't see it as something that was negative i di- i definitely don't see it as a sacrifice because a lot of times when we use the word sacrifice it's like a it's it's like there's like a negative connotation to it like like i'm giving something grudgingly or something for me i saw it as you know i'm just going to do it and if i'm going to do it now i would love to do it over and over again you know so i saw that faith was fundamental in all this in, in everything that i was doing and i think that is very crucial it's not just what i say it's in my actions that is that's most important that's that's really that's really key i think i mean i was just talking the other day with father clarence that you know getting stuck in traffic for half an hour to work and i'm really making so much fast but <laughs> i cannot imagine and really there's so much respect for the work that you are doing the fact that you are traveling that far every day to reach out to the kids um and i think that itself has translated to the results and and i think from the video that we saw just now the 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 adoption of the english language has improved the the test the results it all speaks you know itself and speaks volumes of the work that you're doing um so when it comes to your your teaching right um how do you how do you get that nourishment from from your faith like what do you turn to do you do you join uh do you do you join praise and worship or do you do you play the music with your with your church or do you jam with your friends and and you know what what are sort of activities that you do outside of work that also involves music and also involves building that relationship with people right uh my my commitment to church has always been with music so um uh, e- even with the the countless hours that i spent with, no matter how tired i was uh, usually every saturday night i remember ever since 2012 ever since i got back to kuantan now uh, 2012 to 2019 every saturday was like our jamming our prep day where we practice for worship and on sunday mornings i would just do it all over again with with the congregation so i had that discipline i knew that i had to set set apart this time of the week saturdays and sunday it, it's not just discipline i think it was nourishment as well i felt that it kept me going and i was always well prepared for monday that's coming when when i had to travel to school again uh you know throughout that that uh that 200 km journey you know uh, every day i felt that music music was the the main thing that kept me going you know so praise and worship yeah. music and all that I was always blaring in my radio uh on, on in my, in my car i always listen to a lot of podcasts as well uh 
Kingdom City, uh, Elevation Church. So these are the few things that I listen to. So I, I always try to keep myself nourished on the inside. Though it's just in the background, I felt that it was something that was very beneficial for me. Because it powered you through that journey and then, you know, leading on to you teaching the kids and inspiring them. Um, I mean, at this point in time, just a few more comments. I think we've got really, really a lot of comments coming in for you, Sam. Uh, mm-hmm. From Robita, so much love. Um, Cecilia, well done and such an inspiration you are, Sam. God bless. From Vinci, totally inspiring. God bless you. Ronald, hello, Sam. Keep up the good work. The Lord will bless you abundantly. And I will ask my friends to meet the Orang Asli one day. Yep. <laughs> By all means, Ronald, travel. I think I think we really need to reach out to, to the kids. Cynthia, congratulations, Samuel. God bless you for all the amazing work you've done and truly inspiring. And your purpose is what touched me, Samuel, that's coming from Irene Lutz. And we've got Jason, an example of living the Beatitudes. May God continue to bless you in all the things you do for the children, Sam. Wow. Father. I mean, Father, would you like to chime in to, to say anything? I mean, maybe he, yeah. One of the things that, you know, before, I mean, before you were nominated for this Global Teacher Prize Award, I guess not many people, okay, I will confess that, you know, I didn't know the existence of such an award. Uh, uh, when, when, when you appeared, uh, when we had our own, you know, uh, Malaysian, then this suddenly, you know, we all started talking about it. But you were even acknowledged by the king. Uh, we, we saw a, a little on his social media, you know. To congratulate you, uh, Sam. Tell us, tell us a little bit about this Global Teacher Prize Award. I mean, for those of our viewers who don't know about it, a little bit of its background and how how did you get nominated for this? Well, actually, uh, before that, I would just like to say a few things about how I actually got into the award. Uh, I I believe that a lot of people are doing great things with Orang Asli kids um, uh, and underprivileged communities. As for me, I was doing it since 2012, and I don't, I usually don't share what I do on social media platforms. And I usually, what I, when I, when I do share on social media platform, it's usually a cry for help, where I wanted to collaborate and network, network with people so that I could help my kids. So I never really shared stuff on social media, but the people who I've been working with, they are usually the ones who share the things that I do online. So uh, uh, a close mentor of mine, a close friend and mentor of, of mine, she said, she told me that, you know, Sam, you should apply for this Global Teacher Prize thing. And I told, I told her this, I said, uh, I didn't want to, mainly because I didn't see what I was doing as a competition that, that required me to get an award. And so I said, I didn't want to apply for it. I didn't want it to be, be about teachers going against each other, wanting to show... Uh, that I'm a better teacher than you are. I said, that that is not my cause. That is not my purpose. My purpose is to help my children in my school and to help the children in my community. And I'm going to do my, the best that I can to actually help them. But she told me this. She said that, Sam, if you do apply for this award and uh, if you get nominated and you get to be a top 50 finalist or a top 10 finalist, you will be bringing your message to a bigger stage, you know, to a national uh, to an international stage and that that was what sold me that was the main reason why i applied i listened to her she was my mentor she used to teach me back in teachers college and i listened to her and i said okay i'm going to apply uh, so i started this application pro- process in uh wait when was this uh, it was in july 2019 actually so it's a long process where applicants will have to write out 
10 essays and you need to actually complement these 10 essays with whatever videos you have or what you have been doing with the children. So I sent in an application almost towards the closing date. If I'm not mistaken, it was the second last day. And I sent in the 10 essays and I was not expecting anything from it. I just wrote my heart out. I wrote what I, will, I was doing with the kids. And I was uh, I, I told myself, if this is what God has, in this is God's plan, it will work out. If not, it's okay. I'm just going to continue doing what I, what I was doing with the kids anyways. So the process of, uh, you know, they would review the process, the 10 articles, sorry, the 10 essays that we sent in, and then there's a few interview process. So the whole process was actually long and tedious because it's an internationally recognized award. And this year they are in partnership with UNESCO. So the award on its own, it aims to empower the voice of teachers. They believe that the work of teachers needs to be put into prominence we need to give importance to what teachers around the world are doing because a lot of teachers who are working uh, at the front lines a lot of them are doing it on their own without any help without actually getting enough recognition or financial resources to actually build what they are doing throughout the years so that was the purpose of the award so initially i got into the top 50 finalists and then we went to the top 10 finalists which was beyond my expectations actually because like I said earlier, I didn't even want to apply in the first place. I just thought that I was doing what I was doing with the kids was out of my own heart. I just wanted to help the children. It was not for an award or what, whatever, any recognition. So I think maybe because of that, God saw my heart and just wanted to bless me. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, as, as you were speaking, as you were speaking, this it kind of like crossed my mind. But before I, I get into that discussion, I just have to ask our viewers out there if you have any questions that you'd like to post to Sam, uh, an opportunity. So please do you know, type your questions uh, in, in, the, in the comment section and we'll try and pick up some of the questions uh, and we can post them to Sam. Uh, I'm sure he's a great teacher, eloquent speaker. I'm sure he'll be able to answer many of the questions that you have for him. You know, Sam, I was just as listening to you, you know. This whole pandemic has kind of disrupted education yeah, in, in many ways, including your own, you know, in terms of you having to come back and, you know, and not being able to go back to continue to do your master's. And we we have assumption, especially when we are in urban areas that you know, move online, everything moves online. Uh, but we also realize that looking at you, your, your, your scholar Poco, how do they move online? I mean, how do they continue education? You know, and, and I think that's a great challenge that, that sometimes it kind of we, we don't see beyond that we don't see beyond the urban areas um, you know so how how does education happen with during this pandemic right i think the the pandemic has actually highlighted a key issue with education which is inequity and inequality uh, in orang asli and underprivileged communities though the schools those schools have been gradually improved by the government throughout the years there's still a problem with what they have at home so they don't have a lot of my students, most of my students don't have enough infrastructure, gadgets. Uh, so the digital gap or the digital divide between urban and uh, rural areas and underprivileged communities uh, has widened, actually. It, it, there was a gap to begin with, but now it has significantly widened. And unfortunately, this has caused education to be something that is only accessible to the privileged, to people who can afford it. So these are the issues that underprivileged communities are facing, or honestly communities are facing. Uh, and when schools get closed, uh, teachers 
don't have a lot of opportunities to continue with teaching and learning at home because we can't do online sessions with the kids and they can't assess it from their homes as well. So what schools have been doing, they've been trying their best by actually providing, uh, going from home to home, providing them with modules, providing them with homework, providing them with books. But the other challenge would be how accessible, uh, I mean, how, how can teachers assess whether the teaching and learning is actually happening at home? Because parents, on top of that, parents at home, they are not equipped. Uh, a lot of uh, indigenous parents uh, don't have enough education to actually help their kids with, with their own education. So these are the problems that, that we are helping, we are facing right now. So yeah, how can we help is basically we need to start empowering the community. We, instead of just empowering schools, we need to get the community involved in education. We need to move away from the notion that education is just from the school to the kids and that's it right now the pandemic has taught us that we need more than that we need to get the community involved we need to get parents involved in the education so i think these are the areas that we need to look look towards in empowering the community as you as you say that a, a question appears uh, sam perhaps yeah, yeah. You know, we could pose this question to you uh let's see if we can yeah, it's from Jacinta. And I mean, you talk about the community getting involved and she's asking, you know, how can individuals help reduce the inequity in education in underprivileged communities? I mean, Orangasli's, uh, or even, even you know, the urban poor uh, that, that we are facing with. Do you have some thoughts on that? Right, I think the easiest thing to do, which can often be the hardest thing to do, is to just look around you. Uh, even in Kuala Lumpur itself, you've got a few, I think, I'm not so sure about the numbers, but a lot of Orangasli communities, refugee communities, they are out there. Just open your eyes and look for them and try to connect them instead of ignoring them. Try to go to these communities and find out what do they need. You probably don't need to, to sponsor a whole community, but just for starters, go to a family, find out what they need, find out what you can do to help them to get education. Probably they would need laptops, so probably you can get a used laptop or something or buy something for them and give it to them. Probably they need they need training. A lot of these families, uh, though you can provide them with the with the with the infrastructure, what you can what you can do on top of that is to train them. How do you do they do they use that infrastructure for education, for example? Because if you're going to give them a laptop and they're going to use it for other purposes, then it's you're not actually achieving what you actually plan to do. So probably train them, give them a call once in a while, go visit them. I think a lot of times when we look at helping the underprivileged, we try to do the one-off thing. You know, I'm going to buy something, I'm going to get, get you books, and I'm just going to give you the books, and I'm just going to forget about it. I'm just going to feel good about myself because I actually gave you the books. Follow up. I think that's very crucial. We need to follow up with what they're doing. Uh, give them a call. Build that relationship with them and show that you truly, truly care. So first thing that you need to do is open your eyes, look, look around uh, for the communities that are around you and try to look at something that's sustainable. Instead of just buying them something, giving them and then you just feel good about it and just go on with your job. No. Follow up with them. Create a relationship with them and try to continually help them. It creates sustainability, I believe. I think we also have another question coming in, um, and mm. this is a practical question. Sam, I'm actually teaching English to some students online. They're very poor in reading. How can I go about helping them online, given that it's the pandemic right now? Right. I think uh, a lot of teachers, I don't know whether this person is a, a teacher or not, but um, 
for me, when I look at learning, when I look at education, I look at it from a, very, uh, a different perspective. To a lot of teachers, learning is this. I'm going to go to a classroom. I'm going to give the kids a list. I'm going to get the kids to memorize the, that list. And that is learning. Or I'm going to go to the classroom. I'm going to write on the right whiteboard, write a few stuff, get the kids to write it down. And that is learning. For me, that is completely the opposite of learning. I see learning as something that the students must experience. I see learning where students get to solve problems. I see learning when the students get to communicate with one another. So let's say if you're talking about teaching them reading, what kind of activities that we can come up from that reading process alone, instead of just getting the kids to open the book and just read and get it over with. Probably what we can do is, okay, from that one page or from that one paragraph of the, for the one story, maybe you can get the kids to go and take some pictures and write, write stories of their own. Or probably there's a moral value in that particular story, get them to interview their parents and ask their opinion about it. So make it into an activity, make it into an engaging activity where the children can get themselves involved in. Or probably if that story is about an animal or something, maybe you can get them to create a craft, you know, to draw something or express themselves based on the story. So that is learning to me. So you could try these various methodologies instead of just getting the kids to just look at a book and just follow after you and call that reading. There are lots of other ways to get them engaged into that teaching and learning process. That's a, that's a great answer. I think, I think echoing that as well, because the teaching methods that we actually shared, um, it seems to some, it may be very unconventional. And I think on that note, we have a question coming in from one of our viewers as well. Uh, Priscilla, mm -hmm. I really admire your work. I totally agree to what teachers now don't only play a role of educators, but how they play other roles as well. How do you overcome the challenge when there are people who do not agree with you on this? Right. There were, there were lots of people who didn't agree with me. Let me tell you about this. I think um, uh, at the very uh, beginning of my career, the first half of my career, I had a lot of haters, a lot of people telling me this is not the right way to do things. This is not how you teach children. Um, there's this belief that whereby uh, teachers and students can't shouldn't be close to one another there must be that separation of power you know i'm the one in charge you listen to me and i i've said this a lot of times sometimes schools look like prison you know everybody's wearing the same colored uniform you expect them to have the same haircut you walk in the line you don't stand up until you're told to you're not supposed to make noise you're not supposed to talk to one another so I had a lot of challenges, a lot of people hating what I was doing. But for me personally, I'm proud. I mean, besides being uh, uh, showing love to the kids, besides building a relationship with all that, I'm a very, I'm very proud of my profession. I know what I'm doing, so I supplement or whatever I'm doing with evidence. Okay, so what I do is I research what I'm doing, whatever techniques that I'm actually doing with the kids, it's based on evidence, it's based on theories, it's based on research. So if someone, there's someone who's actually coming to tell me, you don't know what you're doing, I will, I will challenge them and say, this is what I'm doing, it's based on this. These are the evidence that I've recorded throughout the years. So I'm very proud of, my, of what I do and I'm proud of my profession as well. And because of that, because I see what I'm doing as a profession, I actually complement it with evidence as well. So this is how I actually do it. And, and throughout the years, I've actually been a, a strong believer in my own principles. Throughout the years, as I, I, I do things with my children, when I do things with my classroom, when I do things with my kids, I've developed a sense of confidence in what I was doing. So I think 
it takes time and you need a little bit of attitude as well you know definitely you need a bit of attitude as well because if you are always suspect to people telling you what to do telling you that you're wrong and you're always uh, following what what other people are telling you isn't it's not going to get you anywhere but at the same time you really need to be grounded in what you're doing you need to have evidence supporting whatever decisions that you do for example if a doctor is actually you know diagnosing you with a certain illness for example is not because he's just pulling it at the top of his head it's based on evidence it's based on observation so i make sure everything is recorded yeah so the foundation has has to be really right as well thanks i think that answers the questions raised by irene priscilla as well as just in terms yeah. Jump in here and ask, you know, I mean, you talk about being, you're, you're proud of your profession, you know. Right. Okay, I, I use an example that predates your existence probably now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember growing up and reading, you know, uh, you know, LUT cartoons. I don't really know LUT, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah, and in, in one of his, one of his depictions of him going to school, you know, the father takes him to school. If I remember correctly, and the, the father gives the teacher a cane and says, like, you know, I'm handing over my child to you. It's now your responsibility to, you know, to, to bring him up. Uh, and and, I, and I, I think that's that's how it is. Uh, and today, you, I mean, that was a very noble profession. I mean, teaching. Uh, it's, it, I mean, not it was. I mean, it is. Uh, let me, and, but, you know, you don't, you don't hear young people saying that I want to be a teacher. I mean, uh, yeah. It's the same. I mean, no, nobody says I want to be a priest also these days or, or a pastor of some sort. But you know, people think of like like your parents. They think of you know uh, an engineer, a doctor, and an accountant. You know, you know. Uh, what what would you say to our young people, to parents? You know, uh, with regard to this this noble profession, and you you show another side of it. How and how important it uh, in shaping society? Like how. Lad's father gave the cane to. I mean, of course, uh, there was a different context. We're not asking anybody to give a cane, but you know, right. it, it tells a certain ideology of shaping an individual, a community, a nation. I think, uh, I, yeah, my parents did want me to do because that was their definition, their, uh, def, uh, definition of success. That was their view of success. You know. Uh, having a position in society or probably earning that was my view of success as well i didn't see it that way but when but, but though that was the aim of my parents that, that was what they were trying to get me to do their action showed differently you know when they were with, with uh, whoever they were helping they showed heart they showed a lot of passion in what they were doing they showed lots of principles in what they were doing so what i was what i can say to parents out there to individuals out there try to encourage your kids to have the right principles and i think with the right set of foundations with the right side of principles be based in religion whatever decisions that they were going to make in the future is going to be very solid there must be a very there, there will be a very strong reason in whatever they are doing so as for me i could have been i could have been just doing what uh what i'm supposed to do just go to school teach in my classroom get my job done professionally and just go home but i saw that there was a bigger purpose in what i was doing and I was willing to go above and beyond for my children. It was because I took joy in what I was doing. I saw meaning in what I was doing. And this can only be referred back to whatever principles that my parents taught me. So I think 
regardless of whatever profession you choose or whatever path you take in life, having that strong, solid foundations and principles and beliefs in your heart is very, very important. And you'll be happy in whatever you're doing, be it you're an accountant, a teacher, a doctor, a priest. It's very different. So right now, for me, I don't see success as something as having a position in life or position in society or money or my power fat my bank account is i don't see it. yes money is important to a certain extent but i don't see that as a measure of success for me i'm successful the more i help my kids the more i help the community the more i help my children so that's my perspective and for somebody else their perspective can be very different but if it's based on the right set of principles and the right set of foundation they'll be very happy in whatever they're doing That's really something, and I think that's really true, like what you've actually shared. And I mean, with with coming up to close to an hour, and you know what, that one hour is all about just you translating your service and talking about your passion and your love. And I think, you know, the, the future holds a lot of great things for you, Sam. So maybe you can let us know and also let our viewers um, know a bit about what you're currently doing, because I understand that you are currently not um, in the teaching service in the school. Right. So. Um Currently, what I'm doing is I'm actually a graduate student at the State University of New York. I'm doing my master's in uh, educational uh, policy and leadership uh, with a focus of comparative education. Uh, so my plans of the future, well, to be very frank with all of you, I never start a year having a set of goals to achieve. But every year, for whatever that I do, I always know that my focus is I've got to improve. I always look, that as, as a, look at that as an aim. So whatever that I've been doing, every year ever since i started in the school was to improve to improve my practice to improve my myself as a teacher to improve the relationship that i have with my teach with my children with my family so it's always a sense of improvement so once I've, i'm done with my master's so i took eight years to actually finally do my master's compared to my peers compared to my other colleagues who probably i always look for a purpose in whatever that I'm doing. So once I'm done with my master's, I don't know what I'm going to do specifically yet, but I look forward to improving myself, to try bigger, better things, more impactful kids, things for the children and for the community. And as long as I'm at that path, as long as I look at it as a service to the community and a service to the children, I think I can't go wrong. Wow, I, I, I really pity your educators and your professors who are currently teaching you because they probably have to probably find the passion or even you could <laughs> just to just to teach you because now that you're a student you probably would have certain expectation of what a teacher would be like but you know it sounds really exciting and and so for our viewers as well they wanted to know what can they do to help i mean you shared earlier on that one of the things that is to go out and and really open our eyes in our community but is there particularly any ngos or any groups that you are truly passionate about um, especially working with the orang asli kids or with with the with the school right uh, at the top of my head there's a few ngos that i've been working closely with uh, uh the first one would be suka society s-u-k-a suka suka society so they help a lot with orang asli kids another one would, would be the c-o-a-c it's called the center of orang asli uh something i forgot <laughs> but it's called c-o-a-c uh, another one would be Dignity. Dignity, they work with Orang Asli Kids as well. So there are plenty of organizations that actually work with Orang Asli Kids. But if you're looking at uh, what an individual could do, like what I explained earlier, what how I shared earlier on is look around you, 
Um, there are a few orang asli communities in Selangor, in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, the closest would be some, there's one in Kajang. There's a few in Kajang. There's one in Bangi as well. There's another one closer to Cyberjaya, another one in Kumbak. So reach out to them, see what you can do, see what you can do with probably from an individual's uh, capability, probably with one family, with one child, with one student first, and then go on to help the community. Yeah. So these are the, if, if you would like to help me out, definitely there's a few programs that uh, I've been planning for my return. Uh, there's a few programs that I've been working on. So do drop me an email or uh, check me out on, on uh, Facebook. Just send me a message. Uh, I will reply sooner or later, but uh, we'll see how we can we, we can do this. I'm looking forward to, work, to working with uh, people with expertise of how we can come up with collaborative programs together instead of just the financial aspect of things. So you're looking for talents and you're looking for financial aid to help you when, and when you return. And people who are honest and humble and who's willing to do the dirty work, who, who's willing to just roll, roll up the sleeves and, and, and do the work. I think that's what we need. People with passion, with heart as well. It's interesting that you brought up that there's actually a few Orang Asli communities in Kajang because that's the parish that I belong to. And in okay. our parish, we actually have parish integral human development ministry and we actually do help out with the Orang Asli. And there's a couple of projects okay. that we are actually doing for the advanced season. So it'll be interesting to check us out on Holy Family Kajang Facebook page. I know it's a really cheap plug, but I just had to do it then because you, know, you brought up Kajang. But yeah, actually, you, Father, do you have any questions that you wanted to ask them? Green is going to send you the, the bill for advertisement, uh, GP. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 uh, Sam, thank you very much uh, for sharing an, an inspiring story. And I think that is the whole idea of, of us having this conversation. Uh, it's, it's not just, you know, it's not just, as you said, it's not just, you know, channeling the funds towards, but it's to inspire people to also start their own stories. And I think that's, you know, that's if each one of us can write our own narratives in, in transforming society. Well, it may not be in education, it may be in so many other areas, right. in so many other fields, you know, that we can transform society. And I think this is what we, we are hoping and when we have these conversations that, you know, that, that people, our viewers listening can be inspired to, to begin something, you know, like, like what you did, I think, you know, it, it is something to start something small. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't have, you know, we don't start something big and then, you know, we, then we can't cope with it. But as you start something small and, and as you say, and you're honest, you're sincere, you're willing to roll up your sleeves and work on it, it gains momentum and, and people will begin to see uh, the things that you're doing and people begin to join you in, in doing that. And I think that's, that's what I think the, the story that's, uh, for me, at least Sam, your story, you know, I, I hope that, you know, it, it inspires us, not just teachers. And I think, you know, I think lots of teachers here, I see their names, right? I, I recognize many teachers of, uh, on our show today, but not just teachers, but whatever feel like you said, you know, uh, even even as a professional, as an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or anybody, you know, at any whatever you're doing, you can inspire change. I think that's very important, you know, even the, even the simplest jobs, if you do it with great dedication, that inspires change. And I think that's an important thing that at least, you know, from what listening to you, Sam, I think that's the kind of take home message that, that I would like to share with, with our viewers here this morning. Anything to else? To yeah, to be honest, Father, that's exactly uh, the way I put it as well. I think for me personally, if I look back at my career, I just wanted to do the right thing. And I just persisted 
and just kept on doing it. Now, and my focus was only to help the children. And I think uh, if you have that aim, you have that focus. I think eventually you you feel you you meet like-minded people. Things will grow. You can bring out bigger change. But at the end of the day, it's just about doing the right thing and just helping the children. So that's 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 all I would. I think at the, if if someone were to ask me what would you like uh, Samuel Isaiah to be remembered by, it's just about a guy. We just loved his kids and just wanted to do the best for them. That's that's about it. And seeing the goodness and in others. And the ukulele. And the ukulele, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully, something will get you back to the ukulele for us. Was uh, Willing Hearts? Father, maybe you want to talk a bit about Willing Hearts as well? Yeah, so that's a little project that we started also uh, in this time of, of you know difficulties for when people have to work from home. Uh, Willing Hearts is like a and e I, I don't use the word e-commerce but it's it's a platform where people can can put out different things that they want to you know so if you are you know go to our our, our facebook site willing hearts it's a it's an, a project by catholics at home to help one another you know uh how we can support one another during this time when we are working from home uh and you know some many people could do a little bit of extra income could do a little bit of a, a lift during this time and i, I think it's important that we reach out and and care for one another and i think that's what it's all about yeah so i'd like to thank uh thank sam uh for for being with us sam thank you very much for for sharing that story with us thank you for for inspiring us and hopefully you will inspire others too uh to to follow uh, in that path and and most importantly I, I what i think is what inspires you is, is also your love for god and i think this the basic commandments i mean love god love neighbor you can't separate them you know if you love god you love your neighbor and and for exactly. you your neighbor your, your children that thank you very much sam for for being with thank us you. thank uh, you for having and, me father clarence and jonathan uh, i i enjoyed the session a lot thank you so much yep so father would you like to uh maybe close this with a prayer for 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 all of us including our viewers at home yeah, let's, let's bring sam back in let's let's pray together let's pray for for the ministry that that you are involved in and many other people who are involved in in uplifting society. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this story that we have just heard and shared of Sam, the work that he has done. We pray, Lord, that his story may also inspire us, just as you have inspired him through the power of the Spirit, that we too may be inspired by your Holy Spirit to do all things with extraordinary love so that we can truly bring about a change in our society and build the greater glory for the greater glory of your love we pray for sam we pray for the many other teachers out there who are also giving their heart and soul in working and sharing giving themselves to others may they to be blessed in the work that we do they do we make this prayer through christ our lord amen thank you father for the closing prayer so our viewers online we have a very special program tonight it's the Extraordinary Christmas special, and that will be hosted. Father, will you be hosting that program tonight? Yeah, I will be there. I will be there, but Kevin and, and Meg will be hosting the show tonight. Uh, so it is for extraordinary. As you notice, it's not an extraordinary, it's extraordinary Christmas uh, special that we have evening uh, at 8 30 p.m. I would like to invite all our viewers out there, share with your friends, tell them, join us. It's an interesting program. Uh, we have lined up different groups coming to sing carols. You know, as you know, the SOPs is no caroling, 
but they didn't say that you can't do caroling online. So we are going to go online with caroling uh, this evening uh, together with other things. Uh, there's some quizzes, some prizes to be won. Uh, we'll have our Archbishop with us for the Patrick Masang. Uh, and then we're going to kind of close it uh, with that choir, the virtual choir that we have been promoting. So it's going to be, at least I think it's going to be Malaysia's largest Catholic virtual choir that we're going to bring about uh, in this show. So to all of you who are yeah. out there, keep that time, uh, 8.30 with us. Join us for this extraordinary Christmas. Uh, and with that show or with that presentation this evening uh catholics at home also we will be taking a break so we are be taking a break for christmas and new year and <laughs> jp is very happy <laughs> yeah so, I, so, so i'm I, i'm going to get my saturday mornings free again so uh so we're going to take some time off and and hope and come back in the next year uh with uh, even greater zeal renewed enthusiasm so to all our viewers out there friends uh, who have been supporting us do join us this evening uh, at 8.30 p.m. on the same channels, uh, Catholics at Home, both on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, and join us in celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, everyone. See you later tonight at 8.30. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.